Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, always good to talk. Uh, so, John Tory. Uh, well, know, yeah, John Tory. You know for those him? in Toronto, yes, the mayor, the, for, the soon-to-be former mayor of Toronto. Former mayor. Do you do you know John at all? I sat next. No, at, at, do I know him? No. Um, I have sat next to him at dinners. Um, I have to say that um, maybe it was an off day, but I wasn't overwhelmed by the personality. Um, not much of a conversation. You know, for a politician, uh, maybe I'm just not that interesting because he, he just you know didn't seem to take any interest in anything I was saying, even when it was about him. Uh, but again, maybe it was a maybe it was tired. Uh, well, you know, maybe it's an off day. Public fig figures. Um, rarely are interested in hearing about themselves <laughs> they've heard enough about <laughs> yeah. themselves there's two kinds of public figures the kind that are tired of hearing about themselves and the time the kind that could never get tired of hearing about themselves um <laughs> that's true he's the, and, uh, he's the I, former I have, and i have known people who uh you know some good friends who have actually worked very very closely with him on his campaigns and in office as well and you know they're they're big fans um but uh you know it's just not not my not my orbit you know oddly enough you know i always thought municipal you know mayor would be mayor of toronto certainly the biggest city in canada would be an interesting job uh but until recently it really didn't have a lot of power attached to it because you're just one vote on council yeah. now with the super mayor powers that's uh, that's changed um but uh you know it, it it is mostly theatrics and you know clucking when there's uh some sort of a a local uh, catastrophe or crime scene or say you know this is terrible and we're gonna you know do something about it and then you know of course the city never does never does because um, you know toronto is terribly run just generally um as a you know it, it's a, it's a great city in spite of the of the way that it's run by the uh, municipality well i know john um uh, i wouldn't say very well but uh we were leanna and i were doing a radio show at news talk 1010 and uh john did the show immediately after us this is when they were basically trying each other out to see if radio was for him before he got that radio show, the daily radio show that he had there before becoming mayor. And uh, he was uh, very warm to us. Very, I mean, mm -hmm. I was very surprised that he was a fan of uh, my Ed the Sock late night show. <laughs> No, really? Well, that doesn't you know, that doesn't fit with uh, the the no. perception I have. No, he told me that well, he liked the, him. He liked the ribald humor. Um, oh, okay, <laughs> um, but I, I you could have knocked me over when he said that he watched the show and he he is a fan, um, which right away told me you know this is not the guy I thought he was. Uh, mm -hmm. Was always courteous to to us, uh, and when we did a uh, there was a a roast of Ed the Sock at the comedy bar. And John graciously agreed to be one of the roasters. And all of the other roasters, which are basically left-wing comedians, were told, your, your comments are to be aimed at Ed, not at John Tory. So, of course, they all got up there to prove their bona fides as leftists and just took yeah. horrible shots at John Tory. Mm -hmm. John, I'll never forget this, just took it, then got up. And when he started speaking in very um, polite uh, yet surgical ways just dissected all these people who had been taking shots at him all night. Like it was masterful. Um, it was dignified. I thought it was amazing. I mean, I was aghast that they had gone after my guest. Um, and I emailed him the next day and said, I'm sorry. He said, that wasn't you. 
He says, you know, that wasn't you. I don't hold that against you. So I've, I've always found him to be a decent, honorable guy. And I think that's part of what's behind his uh, re- his decision to resign as mayor when the uh, w- you know when he came forward that there was an affair. There's always the possibility too that someone was trying to blackmail him, and he had to come forward. Yeah, and you know I I go back well you know if you go back you know more than twenty years uh, I was uh, I was a practicing lawyer who did a lot of divorce cases, and so you got to see a lot of train wreck marriages. Uh, one of the things that I learned is that uh, you never know what's going on in someone's marriage, That's um, right. and you know, and you never know why some people's marriages work and some don't. I mean, sometimes you look at it from the outside. I'm sure you've been at dinner parties and stuff with married couples, and you just go like, "What do those two see in each other?" Um, <laughs> and and it's just a mystery. Um, so you know, it, it's hard to look in from the outside. And I think, I think honestly, that you know, all of his. Uh, most people would look at this and there's there's competing articles just in in the Toronto uh in the Toronto Star today Rosie DeMana wrote an article saying like you know what's the big deal it has nothing to do with being a mayor um and uh, you know you know personal life is personal life and yeah you know it's 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 it, you know affairs are not good things at the best of times uh but uh, you know it's not a it's not a hanging offense anymore and you know there's a there is a sense that most of society has kind of either moved on or become just numb to to these sorts of personal scandals um there used to be a saying in the american south that when a politician resigns it's either over a uh, a a live boy or a dead girl um, and that's the only reason that uh, that politicians resign. So it's kind of it's kind of old fashioned and quaint that someone resigns over over a consensual affair um, uh, without anything else. Now, big age difference. People can cluck there. You know, he's he's almost old enough to be this woman's uh, you know, grandfather. Um, and but, and also you know, again, the the power imbalance in the workplace is yeah. an issue that's been raised. I think. That if you looked at look at this practically, um, there is some scuttlebutt that when Tory said that he and his wife have been spending longer periods apart, that he was talking about a separation. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that she wasn't on the podium when he won in the last election, and and you know, th- yeah, there were there were hints. There were hints. Um, now, if he if he does wish to work on his marriage, um, that's going to have to take his focus he can't split his focus between being a mayor and fixing uh that marriage so on a practical level um if that is his goal then and it's a noble goal uh then i understand uh something had to give and for years it was his relationship that gave i mean he told me he told us uh years ago that uh i said you're gonna this is after he uh was defeated uh as a pc leader um Mm -hmm. He and again defeated because he took a principled stand on something and refused to back off of it when, even when it showed that uh, he would have gained in the polls if he did. But anyway, he he said that uh, his wife would uh, divorce him if he tried to run for something again, um, and uh, he did run for something again. Um, the other thing is, I think he's just, um, as you say, old fashioned, and I, and I'm I'm really sorry that it is considered old fashioned. He felt that he did not live up to the standards he set for himself as a person and uh, therefore also not the standards he set for himself as a mayor. Um, And so to him, he couldn't in good conscience continue being mayor. Now, 
why this didn't catch up to him before he ran. Yeah, I was gonna, I, I was going to point um, out that this is a, an, an old oldish affair. I mean, it goes back a couple of years, and it was basically only when the uh, when, when the media was circling and got the details that uh, that all of a sudden he he felt he had to resign. Yeah, um, I so think that he just so there's, you know, there's some principle there, but there's also uh, you know like oops, I got caught. Well, there's the principle of when you get caught. You do the <laughs> you do the right thing for the office to maintain the dignity of the office. That's right. And, the secret I mean, is not to get caught. <laughs> look at look at uh, the, the previous mayor, Rob Ford, caught. Oh my God! Yes, smoking crack, um, admitted it, yeah. and consorting with criminals. Wasn't willing to, you know, he wasn't gonna gonna quit. Uh, you look at what's gone on in the U.S. I mean, with with someone like like Donald Trump, um, yeah. so many or things. George dis- Santos, yeah, or George Santos, things that disqualify people in an earlier age. Uh, in an earlier age, Donald Trump be, saying what he did about grabbing a woman in the nether regions would have yeah. been disqualifying from the presidential field. Um, once that wasn't, the door became wide open and people like, I don't feel any need to, to resign. The people elected me. Um, yeah, they elected you not knowing this particular peccadillo, uh, but people just don't and don't resign. And I remember, you know, growing up, politicians resigning for uh, things that are today considered you know the barely shrug at it and i'm disappointed that we've reached the point where we barely shrug at things that in the past people recognized uh, the office has a certain dignity to it and i need to maintain the dignity the honor of this office therefore if i fail to do that i am going to resign now it's like go ahead make me yeah, well, it's the it's the the death of public shame that is uh, that is sort of the seismic shift in politics. Because, like you said, it used to be. I mean, I, I'm I'm old enough to remember Francis Fox. I remember Trudeau's cabinet minister, Francis Fox, who uh, who signed a, a document so his girlfriend could get an abortion, and that was absolutely the end of his his career. Um, he never came back from that. I mean, there's other people who got caught in in a lie, um, and they never came back from that. And now. You know, lies are the stock in trade um, of, of of a lot of politicians. Um, you know, and it's what makes uh, them popular amongst a certain po- a certain yeah. group of people. And they're doing it deliberately who, too. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not like they're doing it. You know, they're they're doing it not you know not, not to save their own bacon, not to cover up a, a, a dodgy past necessarily. They're lying because they know lying works, and the lie will actually gain them popularity in certain circles if they just say it and repeat it enough because it's part it's now part of the toolkit. The lying is part of the toolkit when it used to be the thing that would get you kicked out of the game. And now you don't get kicked out of the game anymore. So so uh, having John Tory resign on principle um, and out of out of a sense of shame is very old fashioned. And a lot of people are going like, well, what has that got to do? You know, OK, bad judgment, um, but it's really between it's his, him and his wife. Judgment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you mentioned the power imbalance thing and we don't know anything about that. Uh, you know, obviously you know, what, this isn't a kid. This is a, you know, by all reports, a 31 year old mm-hmm. um, who's involved and, you know, 31 year olds have a certain amount of agency and all the rest. Um, although I say in a job situation, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, the details haven't come out and the details may never come out. I hope um, they don't. 
Yeah. And, and, and do we have a right to know? I mean, unless there's a lawsuit, you know, by this person against uh, the former, the soon to be former mayor for, uh, you know, whether it's for harassment or pressure or, or any of those sorts of things, then, you know, it's really not our business because this was just a bad choice by two people. Um, uh, and people make bad choices all the time. Um, yeah, but you know, I say John Tory has decided he, you know, he, he needed to resign over this. I mean, and it, it's, you know, it's too bad. You know, John Tory, you know, looking from the outside, I say, I, I haven't shared a green room with him like, like you have, mm -hmm. uh, but he, he's a person who comes from tremendous privilege, um, who's had all the benefits in life. Um, but, you know, quite aside from, from this kind of sad ending to, to, to a political career, I, I've always had the sense that he's never really done much with all that privilege i mean he's certainly been mayor and he was le you know, leader for a little while of the of the uh, ontario progressive conservatives but you know in terms of actual accomplishments you know the city of toronto isn't in better shape i would argue than it was when he started his term um you know uh, it's uh keeping in mind that a good portion of that term was sucked up by the pandemic so how much can you really oh, yeah. how much could you advance or, or i mean the the whole agenda at that point became how to deal with the pandemic everything else went out the window no and, and it was and you know and his election as mayor was basically a really nice contrast to the uh, to the disaster that came before which was rob ford mm -hmm. um and you know we were ready for something that was boring and and not challenging and not too exciting and a little bit uh, you know white and gray around the edges because we thought that the, you know that would be a nice change from from a mayor who was uh, you know drunk at uh, taste of the danforth and uh, peeing in alleyways yeah <laughs> and, and 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 making us you know a, na a national uh, you know laughing stock on american late night tv yeah that it, yeah it you could almost uh, liken it to the uh, election of joe biden in the us after all the craziness they wanted somebody who represented um old school stability and boringness um yeah. And that's what happens after somebody who gets in there and sets the whole place on fire. People get exhausted. Um, but I will say that the fact that he had the um, sense or what's the sense, the values, personal values that he felt shame for this is makes me sad that he's resigning because I would like our politicians to be the kind of people who do have a sense of shame and a <laughs> sense right. of decorum. The kind of people we should we should elect are the people who who resign. <laughs> That's yeah. This is this is what it comes down to. What yeah. do you think of this rumor? I don't know if there's any meat to it that Doug Ford is thinking of resigning as premier to run as mayor of Toronto. <laughs> oh, I've seen that great conspiracy theory where in that that in fact is the, the way that uh, you know the reason that he gave uh, big. Uh, um strong mayor powers, mayor powers yeah. to uh to to uh, toronto so you know when he became mayor of toronto then he could rule like a king and get back at all those people who gave him and his brother a tough time i know it you know it it's a it's a great conspiracy theory that fits uh fits a whole bunch of the facts but i you know i can't see anyone's you know he's got a majority he can do pretty much whatever he likes you know unless unless you know any of the investigations over the uh the, the tipping about uh greenbelt property looking after his uh his 
his uh, developer friends and uh, rezoning their lands and, you know, inviting them to his uh, his daughter's wedding and suggesting that there's a $1,000 entrance fee before they could uh, come to the, the stag and doe. Uh, you know, if any of that catches up to him, uh, then, you know, again, I don't think he's a politician in contrast to John Tory, who... Uh, clearly has any any shame about uh, about resigning when any of these uh, no. allegations of impropriety no. Uh, no. Uh, no. surface none he there he'll he will do what uh, american style politicians do with this he will just refuse to address it and yep. and just carry on um i mean that's it's not just even in the political field um we both know uh what kanye west was all about in uh, late November, uh, early December, all that anti-Semitism and loving Hitler and so on. He goes away for a couple of weeks and he comes back. And the big story is that did he or did he not actually marry this woman he's calling his wife? No mention of the fact that this guy should be uh, a pariah. It's it just right back into the gossip columns. And yeah. uh, no, you know, no address it. He, he hasn't recanted. He hasn't apologized. He's still ostensibly a, uh, you know, virulent anti-Semite, um, which, again, people can have their views in their head. It's when you go out saying these things that uh, there's consequences or there should be. And there's a consequence. There was a consequence for him. He stopped being a billionaire. But the story has just they just waited a couple of weeks for the cycles to to run other stories. And now they're just talking about is this woman actually his, his wife, legally his wife and this is this is what happens if you don't address something people got nothing to latch on to and so they latch on to whatever they do have in this case it's a, a, a strange story of marriage um and that's how politicians are dodging these these things you know when they're caught uh violating their own promises that they made uh on you know on camera when they're caught in uh scandalous situations financially or otherwise they don't they just don't resign um no they just you know they 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 just tough it out and that was part of a that was part of a a playbook uh, that was developed in the united states uh you know around the time of reagan which is you know never 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 explain never resign never never even talk about the issue just move on to the next issue and keep keep firing issues at people so that it gets buried it's sort of like twitter if you you know if someone says something stupid on twitter and you know i've, <laughs> I've been known to say things every once in a while you you just you you just keep filling your timeline with other stuff and bury it further and further down so people are either outraged by the next thing, mm -hmm. I mean, or, uh, you know, or it's buried so much that, uh, you know, people have moved on. And uh, some politicians are very, very good at, at doing that and reinventing themselves every 15 minutes. Um, so, but, but for Doug Ford wanting to be mayor of Toronto, I think he'd love to be mayor of Toronto and premier at the same and time. He already um, got back at the people in council oh, yeah. when he, when he cut the number of councillors, mm -hmm. he already got back at them uh, well I mean, and he's coming back at other ways too with uh, with the zoning and development i mean the uh the putting through of the uh the ontario line is uh you know an overriding you know whether it's environmental assessments or the complaints of residents and all the rest that's um he's just barreling ahead with that uh, the uh, the fact that metrolinx is uh is sawing down trees at uh, osgood hall uh, with uh, you know, with with little notice to anybody else, 
um, is just a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a double win, I think for, for Ford, because he's getting back at the city of Toronto and he's getting back at the courts that gave uh, him and his brother a tough time uh, by saying they couldn't do various things. Oh, and he's you know, given the middle finger laws. to environmentalists as well. Yeah. So it's like, it's like a triple win for him. Yeah. Um, Though, you, you know, you mentioned zoning and I wanted to bring that up. I don't remember the, the numbers, the number of the bill and I should, but the one which uh, takes the burden of development costs uh, you know, community benefit costs from developers that used to go to funding infrastructure in the cities that they were building in. Uh, we're talking about millions, uh, in some places, billions of dollars that mm. uh, cities relied upon so that they could operate. And Ford comes in and just says, no, you don't have to pay, you know, a, a gift of multi-millions of dollars to developers uh that you know that that uh they don't have to pay and it's leaving i mean cities are already cities towns um villages the infrastructure is already overtaxed so to come in and this is just a blatant gift to developers there is no public benefit to to this policy zero it's not it, it it does not as he says encourage the building of more housing units no it does not these housing units would have been built anyways and they're uh, not affordable housing units and they're either. not yeah it's not affordable housing and the cost that would have been passed on from the developer is a couple thousand dollars per million dollar household transaction um it you know it versus the the amount that it would cost the individual making the purchase of the house is in no way comparable to the cost for the cities, the cumulative cost for cities not getting this money. And this is just a gift to developers. It's right out there in front of us. It is blatant and people are doing nothing. It's, yeah. we, we've been, I mean, you look at the turnout for the last election in Ontario. It was pathetic. People yeah. are at the point of saying, um, these guys are untethered from public uh, interest. And, we know that and we accept it. All we care about is what color politically does this person align themselves to? That's all. Do, do, did we win? Do we have a, uh, can we notch a, a win in the win column uh, between the red, the blue, the red or the orange? That's all that matters at this point. There, people are not outraged when they should be outraged. You should be outraged. This is, this is uh, going to affect people day to day. The, the, oh, the, it, the it, diminution of services that are going to be available. But people just... We're, we've been beaten down to the point where we're willing to accept something done right out in front of our faces. Um, yeah. And and we do nothing. We just shrug. Yeah. And and uh, you know, it, it's Bill 23 you're talking about. Bill 23, and, you know, yeah. it, and, and you can you can actually you know quantify the costs um, because uh, the, uh, the city of Toronto said that the, the net effect of Bill 23 was going to be $2 billion dollars less that the, uh, the 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 city was going to have to pay for infrastructure mm -hmm. um over the next uh, i think they said over the next decade and you know you forget when people put up a condo you hook it up to the sewer system you hook it up to the water system you have to ha have somewhere to put your children you know if these people have kids mm -hmm. uh you know where their kids are going to go to school because the schools uh, school districts uh, mm -hmm. can't necessarily support all these people mm -hmm. and then you've got everything from public transit i mean all these things that have to support these things and and this so that two billion dollars is basically and that's just toronto because this is the same for for, for all the municipalities mm -hmm. they're all being starved of this money so you know they have to 
our infrastructure is already crumbling. You know, some of the um, you know some of the water mains in Toronto are over a hundred years old. Uh, they, well, the know, public housing stock is. I can't even think of a word that sums up the horrible state that our public housing stock is in. Yeah, and there's and the problem is there's no money in it for the developers. And this is all about making a few people rich, and uh, and these are the people who um, donate to you know they don't to both parties, but at the moment they're donating in in big 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 numbers to Doug Ford and his group. You know whether it's uh, directly to his uh, uh, to his campaign through the year, so he gets uh, reelected into his candidates, or uh, you know they're they're the ones who are hanging around the poolside with him at his uh, at his daughter's wedding and handing them envelopes of cash as a, a as a wedding present. Um, you know, in any other world that that would, like you say, be front page news. But like I say, we're going to live with this. Uh, you know, if you there's there is a book called Collapse by Jared Diamond, uh, you know, came out, I don't know, you know, 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. And it was looking at historic cities that have collapsed on themselves just because they got too big, everything from the Aztecs to to more modern cities, because they grew and they didn't support the infrastructure. So you didn't get your garbage taken away. You didn't, you know, you mm -hmm. when you flushed your toilets or ran your water, it didn't work anymore. And that's what makes cities collapse. Um, and, and Toronto is lucky because we do have so many people living in the downtown core, uh, unlike a lot of American cities, you know, where are, they're, they're, they're wastelands. They, they look like, uh, they look like a scene from the last of us. Um, if you go there at night, because everyone moves, has moved out to the suburbs who possibly can. And the, the downtown core is left to, to the poor and, uh, and, and the homeless. Um, you don't want that for one of our cities. And that means you have to have good infrastructure, good schools, and things where people can have a good quality of life uh, and afford it. Uh, downloading this to the city, you know, the city has had a, a, a program of cutting business taxes. Um, they're not allowed to collect the developer fees anymore as people are building inside the cities and, and using you know, the existing infrastructure. So the city then has to turn to the homeowners and raise their property taxes. Now, Toronto's had, you know, they, you know, people argue historically low property taxes over the last, uh, over the last decade, and we haven't kept up. But, you know, I can tell you as a, as a homeowner, they're, you know, they're not inconsequential. But the problem is you're downloading all of that to one group of people in the city and expecting them to carry the burden. And all the rest of it is at the whim of the province, which they give out uh, basically as favors to municipalities who play ball with them, but don't give them a tough time in terms of infrastructure grants. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we're watching the destruction of our cities. Uh, we're watching it in, in real time, and we are obsessing over halftime shows at the Super Bowl, um, yeah. you know, about... Rihanna's baby bump. Yeah, yeah. like, you know, the, the things that we are distracted by, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's staggering the degree of bread and circuses that we have, the things that are designed to distract people from the the actual news that's going on, the actual state of our world. You know, we when I was doing a, a morning radio show in December, the uh, CP24 was on the screen all the time. And so the, the ticker tape thing constantly had news stories. And the news stories were about tragedies that happened to children and families in North Dakota, uh, you know, in, in places in Panama, house fires and things like that. That's not illuminating 
my understanding of the world I'm living in. That's just telling me that the wor world sucks. Um, they're, they're not prompting us to, uh, to look at the, the bills that are being passed, the effect on our cities, um, which directly affects individuals. We're, we're, instead, they're, they're just telling us that the world sucks. There's bad things that happen to, to people just like you. And it just teaches us, just keep your head down. Um, don't complain. The world is a bad place. You shouldn't expect better. And yeah, and, and I'm not I'm not happy with that. No, and and it's reflected in, like you said a little earlier, election turnouts. I mean, the uh, last Ontario election was about 43 percent uh, election turnout. So, you know, under under half the eligible voters. And like you said, the uh, the Toronto um, municipal election turnout last time was about 29 percent. And there are definitely groups that are interested in low ter voter turnout. Um, Everybody yes. who runs is interested in low voter turnout because that's fewer people that they have, have to, to convince. convince. Mm -hmm. This is this is something you'll uh, I've seen throughout my my life. People saying I'm not going to vote. That'll send a message to the politicians, and I would say, yeah, the, the message is ignore me. Yeah, um, ex exactly. Yeah, you, they they think that somehow polit not getting a, a huge number of uh, people out voting is going to make the politicians sad somehow. It's, no, it's just fewer people that they have to convince. And they, you know, okay, don't vote, but don't think you're doing this as a as a blow for democracy, as a message for democracy. It's quite the opposite. Yeah, and what, what it does do is for parties that rely heavily on special interest groups, I mean, whether it's the anti-abortion groups or the private school religious groups or whatever, there are motivated voters out there because they're single issue um, or they're, you know, they're very, very passionate about an issue uh, or, or, a, or a, a view, they will come out to vote. So what politicians do is they court these, these fringe groups and they can count on, you know, like 90% voter turnout from that group because they're being encouraged by their, by their ministers, by their churches, by their uh, local leaders, by their chapters, by whoever to go out and vote. So they'll come out and vote in droves mm -hmm. and everyone else, uh, like you say, goes, uh, you know, what's the point? Or, you know, they're, you know, the, the issues are too complex or they're being swayed by groups. I mean, there was that AstroTurf group uh, in Ontario that was, you know, turned out that it was basically a bunch of uh, home builders who were by, it was, what was it, Ontario Proud, it was called. Right. I guess it's still around. And, you know, it sounds like a, a grassroots group of concerned, common sense Ontarians. And it turns out it was funded almost entirely by home builders who were trying to convince people that the world is a certain way, um, that everything is great. And, uh, you know, you know, if you if we can't get them to vote for us, we're going to encourage them not to vote at all, um, because you know, like you said, uh, anyone who doesn't vote is a vote not against us, and it'll it amplifies the votes of the people who actually do vote. So, you know, making issues too complicated. You know, we talked a little earlier about uh, you know people who just bald facedly lie mm -hmm. and put the spin on things or astroturfing, whether it's on Facebook or wherever else. You know, it it leads to a um, you know, a low voter turnout because either people are satisfied or people are, are just feel there's no point. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a bleak landscape with that. I, I don't know if we're going to see, I mean, what we need is uh, something like a redux of the sixties 
where people got, the younger generations, got very politically engaged and kept the issues on the forefront. We, we need that. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it was disruptive at the time, but necessarily disruptive. It was a time where people talked about politics. It was a time mm -hmm. where they talked less about pop culture. And, you know, you, you look at uh, a sitcom like All in the Family, which represented for a lot of people their home experience with their families, where mm -hmm. the, this kind of generational friction was going on. Um, but people felt passionately about issues. And usually it's the youth that feel passionately about issues. When you get older, you've had the crap beat out of you so much, you just don't care anymore. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah whatever. I just keep my head yeah. down and get... get yeah, I'm going to die soon anyway. Money. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the sooner the better. Um, so, uh, it's but I, I'm not... I mean, they say that Gen Z is the most uh, socially aware and socially progressive generation that we've seen, um, which is, you know, it, which is encouraging for people of my political stripe and your political stripe, not so much for those of the sort of crypto conservatives. Um, and by crypto, I don't mean financial crypto. Um, it's <laughs> although them too. Yeah. Although them, yeah, though, though they're the same people. Um, it's going to be difficult for conservatives to uh, increasingly difficult for conservatives to mount powerful campaigns as Gen Z gets into positions of influence, sure, some of them will become less progressive, but not as many. And the conservatives are going to have to go back to the Brian Mulroney conservatism if they hope to be competitive in the in the near future, um, and certainly the long term. But I can't see the people who are currently conservatives uh, accepting that. So, that, I mean, they're and the Republicans in the U.S. see this as well, and they know it. Um, mm -hmm. But they're they're in a death a death embrace with the uh, the Trump base, uh, and you know talking about uh, Gen Z, a lot of people complain about Gen Z. A lot of employers, especially. I mean, I have a friend who works at, at a bank, um, not in the financial area, doing some some video production, and talks about how the Gen Z people take their time doing their tasks. There is no they don't feel that there's any reason to, you know, put put some elbow grease into it. It'll get done as it gets done. Um, they don't feel the sense of urgency that that might accompany getting this done uh, and the sense of urgency that you and I and other generations, we internalized and we felt it was our responsibility to get this stuff done. Um, we you know, we were serving the business. Uh, we were hired to serve the business. We served the business. We took pride in how much work we got done, how hard we worked. And what did we get for it? Uh, <laughs> you know, we we got the shaft, quite frankly. Um, you know, men over 50, women over 40, the, uh, the, the workplace isn't interested in you. You put all those years into hard work. And developing and, and skills experience and, and yeah, experience exactly. and and you know perspective, and they're not interested because you may want a fair wage, so yeah. they they go to this uh, you know they go they went to millennials, um, millennials were the first generation to start to say um, hang on a minute, but now you've got Gen Z who are saying you know what my personal life my human life matters. Uh, as much or more than my work life. I am 
working to live, not living to work. Uh, I am not willing to go out on a limb for you all the time and and uh, save the day constantly because you're overloading your what you're expecting out of the, the workplace. And while that is a, a pain in the ass for an employer, my thought is good for them. They've picked up the lessons that uh, we we didn't, which is that don't kill yourself for a company. The company doesn't give a shit about you. Um, yeah. And even if there are individuals in the company, management or someone who are decent people, they they can't they're not going to lose their job over protecting your job when the, when the, the gears of, of uh, business tell them fire these people, they fire you. Uh, they feel bad about it, but they and and it does not matter how much above and beyond you have gone for this company. They've determined your surplus, your surplus. They don't there. There's no emotion anymore. There's no uh, human connection that matters. So good for these Gen Zers who are saying, you know what, we're not going to fall into that trap. You are going to have to cater to us. Uh, yeah. And it's going to take a, an attitude adjustment. I'm seeing an attitude adjustment. I mean, some of the corporate work that I do, uh, corporate communications work that I do with rather large companies, um, including banks, I'm seeing them recognize we need to start catering to the employees rather than uh, having the employees enslave themselves and, you know, prostrate themselves uh, in front of us by giving up their lives. Uh, yeah. This has been a this is a large enough movement that it's going to. Ch I, I hope this can this permanently changes business because uh, we 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 you know we put in blood, sweat, and tears, and they didn't get you know they just give you a package and away you go. They don't give a damn about what happens to you. They don't care how no, they, they, they could you've invested. They don't care. No, no, no. And you know the uh, they're and we're you know you and I are, are are sort of the generation that came after the golden generation. Mm -hmm. You know the generation you know who had their jobs you know had jobs in the sixties, um, sixties and seventies, the post post war boomers. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know the immediate post war boomers. You know they still grew up in a corporate culture where. You know, people worked the same job for 40, 50 years, that there was still a pension, that there were benefits. Um, you know, it was, you know, it, I'm, and there's no illusion that, you know, that, that company still wouldn't fire you, uh, you know, if it suited them. But there was, but that was the structure that they were in. And they were able to, you know, it also wasn't the overeducated, uh, you know, in, in terms of credentials generation too, where, you know, a BA could get you a long, long, long way mm -hmm. in the business world. Um, and you know, of course, world and post World War II too. We were building like crazy. You know, whether it was cars or homes or roads or infrastructure. You know, there's tons and tons of work that was reasonably well paying at that time. And then, sort of, your and my generation. Uh, you know, people who grew up in the grew. You know, were, were kids in the '60s and '70s. Uh, I'm more Business of change. 70s, 80s guy. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I know you're younger than me. You, 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 you whippersnapper, get off my lawn. The, uh, but uh, you know, but you know, starting from 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 
my age on, we were the generation where they got rid of pensions, that uh, you weren't at a job for a long time. The way to to get ahead was to change jobs regularly. Um, that, you know, there wasn't a lot of loyalty, that skills started becoming a little more portable, um, that, uh, you know, most of most of things were built. And, uh, you know, more now it was a repair culture as opposed to a building culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the, uh, you know, unions weren't quite as strong as as they were you know, in the, in the fifties and sixties. Um, and, and now the next generation past us is the one you're talking about where they take for granted that you might have to work two jobs, you know, the gig economy that no one offers any benefits that no, you know, a pension. there's no what's security a, whatsoever. What's a pension? Uh, yeah, yeah a there's pension. no job security. What are benefits? The, yeah. You're, you're a, you're a contractor. Uh, mm-hmm. the, there are no benefits. It's so yeah. rare to get a job with benefits these days. It's like mm-hmm. getting a, a rent controlled apartment in New York. Um, yeah, they all want to treat you as an independent contractor. So you you remit your own taxes, and you know it's it's your problem. You know what you do with your life, and they can you know hire and fire you. You know at, at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. So you know I I understand that, that that there isn't any vestige of loyalty. It was already disappearing. You know in our generation because companies and then they started offshoring everything as well. Um, it became much more a, a much more. Uh, flexible work pool for them mm-hmm. where they're able to downsize and automate and all the rest. And now I think a lot of companies are looking at the fact that a lot of workers are, you know, either low skill um, and people are quite prepared to move around, you mm-hmm. know, whether you're in retail or whatever else, I mean, that's always been fairly fluid, but it's very, very fluid. Now it's very seasonal and, you know, manufacturing has pretty much disappeared from this country. Um, so there isn't a lot of, you know, factory workers where you need semi-skilled people or even unskilled workers. Mm-hmm. And more and more people are working in the IT world. You know, they, you know, they're not computer specialists, but they're working digitally somehow, whether it's data entry or or something else. And those skills, you know, you can move those around much more. You, know, you, you became sort of a, a medieval journeyman where you, uh, you know, you can, you know, leave the cathedral that you're working on and work on the cathedral in the next town quite easily if, if someone's treating you badly. And that's the new generation of workers and employers haven't figured out how to engender that kind of loyalty anymore while still, you know, paying crappy wages. Well, it's almost like Gen Z, somebody snapped the fingers and they woke up from this trance that we were in with all the, I mean, all the messaging, social messaging was, you know, especially for men, it was the more you work, the more stress you have, uh, the more you are a productive man in this society. That's right. You're a success. Uh, yeah. You're a success. Doesn't matter. Like the, the measurement of success for a lot of people was uh, money, um, mm-hmm. but money that you obtained through sacrificing your uh, time with your family, seeing your children grow up, spending time with your spouse, uh, time to sit and just do nothing, uh, time to read a book, time to watch the rain, um, you know, all these these things that were that were given up. Uh, you know, I have someone I know uh, has a job uh, that uh, pays pretty well, but it requires them to be uh, out of town Uh I would say about 20, 22 days out of the month and they have kids and and a spouse. And my thought is um, some, some money is just too expensive. You know, what, yes, you got that job, but 
and you're bringing money in but what what kind of life is this is this engendering you know men uh identified who they were was what they did yeah with with work um, it's very much part of your identity yeah and you know sadly that's why uh suicides for mm-hmm. uh, suicides for men over 50 are one of the highest groups or or a lot of men drop dead right after they retired because mm-hmm. you know psychologically it's like i'm not who i used to be anymore i got not, um, i got no purpose in life yeah 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 and, and, and yeah and the the legal profession is particularly it still maintains a lot of its macho-ness that way mm-hmm. which is you know the number of hours that you put in that you're in on saturdays that you're in early that you stay late um that you know it's high stress uh that's still very much you know a lot of law big law firms especially really struggle with that because lawyers still very much identify with their profession as part of their 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 personality and their and their net worth um and you know i you know i'd left the practice of law fairly fairly early on you know after 10 11 years because i didn't like that culture at all and like you said you know, spending time with your with your wife, with your kids is is important. You can't get it back. And I saw far too many, you know, successful lawyers who uh you didn't know their kids at all. Um, you know, their their biggest accomplishment was to pick out a good university for them eventually mm. and uh, yeah, and hope they get invited to the wedding and it's uh, you know, not your uh, not your wife's new husband who's uh, running it because because you've ruined uh, one or two marriages in the process. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, we were fed a bill of goods and we we swallowed it whole and it came back it it bit us you know as a, as a generation bit us in the ass um and you know when i was younger and i heard that uh you know when, when you get older when you're in the 50s people don't watch as much my thought was that's never going to happen to me i've got <laughs> uh-huh. special talents um uh, i've i've had great success since my teens that's going to happen to somebody else. Well, no, it happened to me. Um, it, where all of my experience, my accomplishments are a millstone around my neck. Um, they're 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 not they don't advance anything. When I send out resumes, I cut off my uh, resume. I cut it in half. Um, I don't even list earlier accomplishments because they see a resume that's too long. They think you're too old, and you're going to want to want you're going to want too much money, and so they don't even have the conversation with you. Um, so, you know, you reach a point where you're, first of all, you're, they consider your experience to be, uh, uh, old school. So you can't possibly fit into the new school. And this is, this is a reality these days. You know, I, my friend who works at the bank was saying that they're now looking at possibly hiring some managers that are older because of the different work ethic that's involved, mm-hmm. but good for Gen Z. For giving the middle finger to all of this, good yeah. for and, them. Stand and, your ground. Yep, absolutely. And you know the other, you know, the, the, unfortunately, the other side to it, unless you're phenomenally lucky, is that it comes with less money. <laughs> um, you know, better quality of life. You know, the very few things have really high quality of life and a lot of money. Um, if there are, if there are such opportunities out there, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me and offer me a job like that. Yeah, I'm there too. Um, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, you know, I, you've got to be happy with a little bit less is is maybe part of it, uh, because at the same time, you know, the, the, the people talk about there's this there's this culture of entitlement among young people. Well, you know, I maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Uh, but you know, the the realities are that if uh, you know if you're not going to work as hard, um, then and you don't have really specialized advanced skills in something that are tremendously in demand, then you're going to make a little less money. A little less money means you know some of the things that you've been sold as as um as as signs of success you know may elude you a little bit longer um you know it's when you start saying well you know i i want to have this great uh, life as an artist but i you know i still want a great big house in rosedale um it's like well you know unless <laughs> unless yeah. you really do a great job and are, are are recognized in your own lifetime as a genius chances are those that's not going to happen together so as long as you're prepared to accept that uh, you know a better lifestyle may come with a couple of uh you know, corners uh cut off of it uh, in terms of uh, economic security then you know more power to you well there also comes a point in time you know, I know it certainly came from me in my, I guess, my early 50s, late 40s, early 50s. And by the way, it is very hard for me to still to, to uh, reconcile that I'm saying that I had I've passed my late 40s and into my early 50s. <laughs> um, I can't make sense of that. But uh, where I started to question, what do I really need? Um, my needs, my wife's needs, were, they're not extravagant. Um, the uh, signs, you know, the doorposts of uh, success that you could show off to people when you're younger, um, at least for me, they don't mean anything to me anymore. Um, I don't care about a fancy car. I mean, I never really did. Um, but I don't care about a fancy car. Does it work? Is it not costing me a fortune in repairs? Good. Um, I don't care about a fancy house. Um, I care about my, you know, do I have, is it a nice neighborhood? Are my neighbors nice? Um, you know, I, I, I just, I'm not interested in impressing anybody. Um, no, and that, and like I said, that's not so much lower expectations as it is not living up to the expectations that were conditioned into you, as part of the of the consumer culture that we live in. Well, so it's having been part of that and discovered, you know what? There's no satisfaction there. There's the, mm -hmm. the desire to uh, feel better about yourself in your life through acquiring things. It's never ending, uh, and uh, screw it. I've got an, you know, my phone, I don't change phones until they break. Uh, I do not need. <laughs> oh, sometimes even then. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, <laughs> I will work with certain things. Um, uh, but yeah, um, you, you just, do you remember, you and I remember growing up when we were younger, the concept of enough. Do you remember there was a concept oh, yeah. of enough? Like, yeah. I've got this, I've got, enough, I've got the house, uh, can support my family get a vacation maybe once a year um it's enough i don't need to have the most expensive of anything i don't need to go on extravagant holidays i don't need to uh wear fancy watches to show off to people uh, there some of that stuff you know you looked askance when you were uh, uh showing off wealth people you know you thought you were a boob it's not very Canadian, um, no. It, no, it's definitely not very Canadian. But even then, it wasn't so much American, um, even though it's always been a little more than with us or a lot more. But even so, uh, there was a concept of enough and not rubbing somebody's nose 
in your success. It was seen go to be gauche. It was it was not socially uh, acceptable, really. Uh, and then it flipped. And you know, as much as I loved the '80s, I guess because the age I was and stuff like that, and there was a lot of great things appealing to somebody. At, you know, '80s were a lot of fun. Teenager, I will yeah. admit it. <laughs> um, a lot of this crap started happening in the '80s. A lot of the flip started happening in the '80s um, with uh, the Reagan presidency and the neocon values that were pushed forward on America. Uh, it that that we you know we accepted here, uh, hook, line, and sinker. You can really point back to the '80s as to when things started tipping in the direction that they are now, and I don't feel they're in a good place now. Uh, you know, I don't feel mm -hmm. that politically uh stuff's getting done uh there are important issues there's there's things like the homeless that need uh that need addressing uh climate change which you know the fact that it became a political affiliation issue if you're a conservative you have to sneer at the notion that we should be doing things to protect the world we live in you have to deny that it's even happening because if you acknowledge that it's happening then you're gonna wonder you know you're gonna there's an impetus to to do something about it so it's best to do, either deny it's happening or say it's, it's happening in a minor way or we have nothing to do with it it's just the earth we can't change it um you know the the, the fact that that has become a political football the same way vaccines um, which is a public health measure, became a political, uh, pol you know, political values debate. Um, this is just, a, it's just a mess out there. And there's always still good things going on. There's people still fighting the good fight. There's people who are still good neighbors to each other and are good to each other. And uh, there's, I think there are far more examples out there of, or instances of people being kind to each other of being kind to those who need help um, and being empathetic. I think there's far more of that happening every day than uh, fires which claim the life of, an, of a young family. Uh, yeah. But we don't, when you don't have that presented to you, it's, it, it's not front of mind and you think it's just not there. And so you get this bleak view of the world where you just, you're supposed to just be happy if you can hang on by your fingernails. You know, and, and, you know, we've talked before about the role of media and social media in that too, because, you know, obviously, you know, uh, like the, like the old newspaper headline was, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. If it's terrible news, then it goes on the front page. Mm -hmm. um, and if you, know, you, you see things like, you know, the Toronto subway system has had, a, had a, you know, what, what appears to be a rash of violent incidents. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, taken as a symbol of, 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 you know, the decay of civilization and all the rest of the stuff. And you just go, well, you know, they're, they're tragic and they're terrible human, uh, you know, uh, human injuries that are, that are happening, but, you know, statistically it's just a small clump of things. Uh, and, you know, things, you know, I've been riding the subway for 40 years. Um, you know, there are a lot of, there have been a lot of homeless people there. There are a lot of people who are in emotional and mental distress there. There are, you know, there, there's a small criminal element there as well, but, you know, it's the, the the media grabs hold of a story and it becomes the story of 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 the week because it gets everyone wild up, riled up, and they they turn it into into uh, this thing as if the world is falling apart. And while it is terrible that anyone gets hurt or injured in in you know on public transit or anywhere else, it it is it is not the end of the world because it is actually just 
fairly ordinary stuff that's been strung together into a narrative um, by by the media because it sells. I mean, there's all you know all kinds of fads, all kinds of media stories that were you know big, 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 big stories for a week, and each of them is more depressing than the last. And you don't start to realize that it is this this system of 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 publications for competition for eyeballs that makes you feel bad about these things. I mean, in between sort of the cat videos and, you know, the, the puppies with the big eyes that you get on Instagram and, and on Facebook in between that, there's a lot of really terrible stories that get big, big, big play and then disappear completely. They're gone um, because they really weren't a big trend. But if you see it all together, uh, then you could get very, cynical and depressed about about the way the world appears to be or at least the way that it's presented um because you're just inundated constantly by these by these sensational stories which uh, are not not counterbalanced at all by like you say the good in the world you know the things that yeah. you know the people being nice to each other you know the the successes and not in the saccharine you know puppies with a sad eye kind of stories that you know get get reunited with their owners after being lost in a rainy night kind of kind of stories mm. um you know the the real things about what is good in in the world and good in people um it's uh yeah you know like the, the you know the 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 Turkish earthquake is one of those examples of the media. I mean, it, an incredibly tragic event, you know, tens of thousands of people yeah, dead. Incredibly tragic. And, you know, they try to make you feel better by, you know, they dig somebody out every once in a while. And it's great that they're digging people out and that people are, you know, you know it's a miracle that people are surviving as long as they have in the rubble. But it's, you know, it, it, they don't balance each other out. Um, you know, it's okay to feel bad about a tragedy. You don't need to be sort of bucked up by by some some little meaningless, you know, statistically meaningless stories. Um, what you really need is to see the bigger picture about where progress is being made on a big scale somewhere else in the world, uh, and not these, you know, little little tiny anecdotal things that, you know, at the end of the day, aside from the couple of people who are directly involved, are pretty meaningless. Um, you know, you want hope in humanity, and you want something that doesn't give cynical politicians the opportunity to say, you know, the world is terrible and only I can fix it, which has been the mantra of, of every uh, autocrat and demagogue uh, since, you know, since Roman times. Yeah. It... Uh, uh, okay. We've talked about it. What's the solution? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so much, it's so easy. I mean, the, 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 the problems are, are right there. It's, it's low hanging fruit. We can pick it and, and here's this, there's this, there's this, they're right there in front of us. Uh, the solutions, they're not there in front of us. Um, and um, I, I admit, I, I, I do. there are ways that the world can get better and these, th these patterns can be reversed. The thing is, they're not ways that I think are realistically going to happen. Like, it, you know, news organizations aren't going to start um, luring people with happier stories. Um, no, no one, no one would read it. Everyone yeah. would go like, ah, you know, wh why should I be reading this? Well, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're programmed in our brainstem to be constantly alert for threats. Um, mm -hmm. And so bad news uh, falls into that category of threats, even though these are things that in a billion years probably would never have any effect on us or we would never never similar experience similar circumstances um it still marks as as a threat so it feeds that brainstem that says look for threats look for threats look for threats oh this is a good story that's nice it's not a threat look for threats look for threats look for threats um but so i, I you know i i 
I really, you know, I'm a, I, I, I sound like an old man, and I guess I am. I do not <laughs> believe that the internet and social media have been at all good for humankind. Um, you can, somebody can point out to me where it has, uh, and I'd love to see it and love to read about it. But all I look around and see is the world, we can now be more connected than ever, and we're more distanced from, from each other than ever. Uh, the, uh, the rise of social media has allowed unfiltered crap to get out to people. Uh, it's allowed confirmation bias in a, a pathological way. Um, this is not, this is not better. Um, you know, the idea of, uh, student or of city citizen journalists, that was a good idea before the internet because a citizen journalist in those days had to actually try to follow journalistic standards in a lot of ways. Or now, they wouldn't get published. Yeah. Or they wouldn't get published. Now, a citizen journalist is any idiot who puts a post on social media that has a political uh, angle to it. Uh, you're, yeah. And they say they're a citizen journalist. No, you're not. You're, yeah. you're, you're just a shithead who's just spreading things. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. Mrs. Lawton. Uh, you're you're, <laughs> you're, you're um, just, that's just who you are. You're just somebody who revels in other people's misery because you're miserable in your life and everyone else is going to be miserable too. And those people populate the social media sphere in such great proportion that, uh, you know, if, if I didn't have business reasons to be on social media, I would not be on. So, I mean, one of my best friends from childhood, not on social media, doesn't benefit him. Like it doesn't need it. He's not on social media. And, you know, I look at him and say, Oh, God bless you. The people that you still exist <laughs> to live to live that life. And it, it, there's there's sort of you know two sides to it. I mean, being educated in in the ways in which you are manipulated is so important. I mean, there are actually mm -hmm. some a, a couple of Scandinavian countries countries that actually teach it as a core curriculum. Mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, to be a critical consumer of news and information and being able to recognize when you're being played, when something is manipulative, when something is fake. Um, it's, it's so important because it allows you to realize that the world isn't as bad as, as it is that you are, you know, that somebody has an agenda when they're publishing something, whether it's mainstream or if it's, uh, you know, like you say, bloggers, uh, who've got an ax to grind to be able to look at something critically, but to do that, you need to have context, you need to have knowledge, you need to have some historic memory. And, you know, as we said at the kickoff of this podcast, you know, what happened two weeks ago was gone. I mean, the Kanye stuff, the anti-Semitism stuff, no one's talking about it now. And you, you need to have this longer perspective. So you're not jerked around like a puppet on, on strings because someone's telling you something and you go, wait a second, you were telling me something different just six months ago. Or, you know, God forbid, I remember 20 years ago, something like this was going on. I mean, we were talking about bank rates and inflation and things. It's like, well, those of us, you know, one of the benefits of being an old guy is you remember when interest rates were 18, 20%. You know, that was high interest rates when they were talking about it going, you know, up to 4%. Those of us who, you know, my first mortgage was at like 14%, you're going like, 4%, geez, I would have killed for a 4% mortgage. Um, but it's context that people are able to catastrophize things that happen because they don't, they've never experienced themselves, but also they've never had a opportunity to normalize it because 
they realize that this is part of a cycle that's been going on for decades, if not centuries. And that gives you the hope that, you know what, we'll get through this. And here's here's ways that people got through it. This is not forever. I mean, imagine, you know, just think about some of the the lead stories that we've had over the last, uh, you know, since the new year. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, grocery prices or inflation or interest rates, I mean, all of these things were like every single day and in your face. And they're now, they're still there. They're on the back burner. But now we're talking about Chinese spy balloons or we're talking about, um, oh, you know, whatever the hot button is uh, today that 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 distracts you from the thing you were mad about two weeks ago and you've now forgotten about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... So there's no solutions. <laughs> well, no, That's... I mean, I, the solution is just be smarter and, uh, and uh, you know, get off, you know, get stop getting your news off Facebook. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what people have been conditioned to be lazy, apparently. Or, or even some mainstream media now, because everything has kind of drifted into that uh, sensational, uh, you know, grievance uh, news that, uh, you know, gets eyeballs and makes their advertisers happy or their or their political masters. And uh, but, you know, doesn't really gives you an idea of the world the way it really is because you know I, I hear from people on on twitter all the time go oh you live in toronto you know it's the cesspit of crime and you know <laughs> people are being gunned down in the street right. and and stabbed in the subways and I'm like yeah it happens but i've you know can honestly say i i don't see it it's not a dangerous city there's you know there's hardly anywhere that i would wouldn't go at night um, and feel unsafe it's it, but the perception from outside is that you know that we're this this mob mobster crackhead meth killing cannibal city that uh, th that's completely unlivable i'm going like i love living in this city it's a great city yeah it you know but that's it, the perception that people get because they just get fed these they stories is, yeah they get the if if all you are uh if all you are given to see is negativity with no context to provide, you know, this happened, uh, crime has risen this much, but statistically, most people in the city will, will not be touched by this. Uh, not, to, not to not be alarmed, but uh, we don't get context. We get zero context, as you were saying, context, which is something that you get from living a certain length of time or reading enough about the past so that you can see, okay, this is, People have been through the crapper before. Um, yeah, this isn't the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. this is. Well, the uh, one thing I read once, which I thought was effective, was that teenagers can't tell the difference between trial and tragedy. And I think that's writ large now. It's not just teenagers. Mm -hmm. It's a, We don't know the difference between trial and tragedy. Everything's a tragedy. There is. Why bother trying? Why bother hoping? Everything's going to everything's awful. Everything's terrible. Uh, politicians, they all hate each other. They're not rivals. Uh, they're not. Uh, it's not opposition anymore. It's enemies. And uh, that's toxic. And, and, and it, it, it turns people away from investing or paying attention to the public sphere and, and how their money is being spent and how they're being governed. Uh, it's and, and, you know, it doesn't help that the average attention span now is apparently down to 47 seconds. Yeah. How do you yeah. how do you inform someone in 47 seconds? No, exactly. And people don't have time for anything else. And, and and there's also, you know, you touched on that people have this sense you know, of of these tragedies that don't necessarily happen to them. And they feel somehow responsible 
for it because you know they're reading about it. I mean, whether it's the war in Ukraine or the earthquake in Turkey or things, I mean, it, and you know, tragedies have been happening around, all around the world as long as we've known that we're around the world. But it's now instant. It's now very personal. It's now being filmed. It's being you know pictures, and people feel like they have to that that it's a personal responsibility for them to do things and people do do things you know and this is part of the goodness of human nature which is we'll donate a couple of bucks we'll go to the food bank we'll we'll roll bandages we'll you know donate uh, you know sleeping bags for the homeless you know people are motiv it motivates people to want to do things certain people anyway but at the same time it's not your fault and you can't fix the entire world I and, think part you know, of the problem is that you can't. It's, no. It is so Herculean that people look at it and rather than going and helping at the food bank a couple of days, they just turn off. They just, yeah, they just say, they well, what can I do? callous over it. And they uh, mock people who still have, you know, haven't uh, turned off because it's a frightening thing to them. Um, yeah. and, and there's that sweet spot between, you know, losing your empathy which is terrible like you mm -hmm. say like you know i you know i don't care it's not my problem not my people mm -hmm. nothing i can do and the people who you know live and die with every headline in in the newspaper um there's that part in between where you're informed that you're empathetic you do what you can um and and you know you accept that there are limits on what anyone can do um and in and not feel badly that uh, that you haven't been able to fix the world's problems because no one's been ever able to do that and you know 250 60 years ago voltaire was saying you know best thing i can do is is tend my own garden um i can change those things that are within my power to change uh, look after my own life live a good life help whoever i can and you know and that's that's a good life yeah it's of the same nature of take care of the pennies and the dollars take care of themselves do <laughs> yeah. yeah you know if if you're a decent person and, and you know it's funny there's even this notion that doing something good, you do it for a reward. The idea of karma, put something good out into the world and it will come back to you. I'm here to tell you 55 years in, that's bullshit. That, <laughs> that is, does not happen. The number of horrible people I have seen advance and the number of well. good people I have seen do poorly, it's just nonsense. The thing is, we should be doing good things because... The, the reward is doing a good thing. It's, you know, the, the, um, it, in, in Judaism, there's a term mitzvah, which, yes. um, people take to mean a good deed. What it actually means is obligation that, that Jews are obligated to do good things for other people. It's, you, you don't get brownie points. Um, and if you do something to other people because you, you feel good that, they are being helped, that they're in a better place, and that you were able to be an agency to help that, do it for that reason. Don't do it because you expect that the world's going to pay you back because the, the payback is going to be a kick in the butt. Um, and so don't do it for rewards. Don't do it because you want to go to heaven because there's no guarantee that's going to happen. Um, do it because it's the right thing to do and it feels good to do the right thing. Do it for that reason. Don't do it because you're expecting something out of it because you're going to be very disappointed and bitter. Not, Not like I sound, that I am. No, I'm uh, going to say, like, yes. this is the two old guys show. That's right. Let's <laughs> Two cranky old guys. Now let's, uh, now let's yell at clouds. Um, <laughs> all right. So now that we've uh, thoroughly depressed everybody, uh, you know what? Don't Everyone. be depressed. 
no, no. Uh, the, the the what the point is: do good for yourself. Don't compare yourself, your your life, your your income, your stuff to other people. That's that way lies madness. Um, think about what you really, really, really need in life. What do you really who do you really need to impress people? Do you you know? Do you, what do you need? What's going to satisfy you? And stick to that. And forget the messages you get in the media about telling you what you need to do to enslave yourselves in order to buy more things, in order to make your life better. Uh, cut through that. Start cutting through all the media manipulation that is out there, the marketing that wants you to buy things. Um, and, and think about what do I really need apart from what they're telling me that I need? And do good things because it's the right thing to do. And you know what? Invariably, the truth is when you do something, when you do something good for your neighbor, the truth is your neighbor is likely going to do something good for you. Um, but do it because, you know, my neighbor, he has a, 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 snow, a snow clearing machine, the one like the one the cities use on their sidewalks. When oh, it snows, that's a neighbor with benefits. Yeah. 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 When, when it snows, he just comes over and does our driveway. It doesn't. And then, you know what? We got him. Uh, and his wife, a $100 uh, gift certificate for uh, for Walmart. And he said, you don't have to do that for me. It's just, this is just what I do. You're my neighbor. I want to help. Um, so he did something nice for me. I did something nice for him. Um, oh. it, there was no reason for him to do it and no reason for me to respond that way. This is just, the reason humans are the dominant species on this planet is because we learned to work together. Um, that's what other animals do not have. They do not have the ability to work together. When we came together as hunter gather from hunter gatherers to being, uh, you know, people who were, you know, we were farmers and so on, and building cities because there's greater security, and we can share, we can each do different jobs that help make the city better or the, the, the village, whatever it was. We succeed because we help other people because we realize we need other people and they need us. Um, and so, don't withdraw. Don't go on the internet and and crap on people who are showing empathy uh, in, for other people just because uh, it's the world scares you. Just, just don't be a jerk. <laughs> and I think that pretty much sums up uh, what, what should be everybody's uh, mentor in life. Just, you know, just, just don't be a jerk. Just don't be a jerk. Um, so that's, we'll, that's all be, the, we'll all be better off. <laughs> I agree. Um, so that's the end for us today. Um, we will be back again when Stephen and I uh, have the opportunity to do so. Uh, but we do like to hear from you. We do like, uh, I do get some DMS from people and comments about, you know, my mother loves listening to you and things of that <laughs> nature. Um, so, uh, you know, I hope that we've opened up some thoughts for you today. That's all I can say. And, yep. uh, go out and do a good deed, go out and do a good deed and do it because it's a good deed. Be like, if Superman. you feel like shoveling my driveway, then, you know, by all means, feel free, feel yeah, free. drop, drop on by. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. And thank you for listening. This has been Stephen and Stephen. Stephen.